Welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry. Keep the Faith brings you timely messages with in-depth spiritual analysis of current events in light of Bible prophecy so you can prepare for the coming of Jesus. Listen to what the news won't tell you. Here is another important message for our times. This is Pastor Hal Mayer. Dear friends, welcome once again to Keep the Faith Ministry. The election of Barack Obama has brought with it some amazing developments in prophecy. You will be shocked at how closely Rome has snuggled up to the new president, even before he became president. But once he was elected, however, Rome has deepened her connection and influence on the new president. But before we begin this month's message, let me remind you to go to our website frequently to look at our new prophetic intelligence briefings that are posted every day or two. There is so much happening and these briefings will keep you up to date. Also, for those who have sent gifts this past month, I want to thank you for your support. Your partnership means a lot to us and shows us that you care for the work of Keep the Faith Ministry in giving the warning to thousands upon thousands of people around the world. Your gifts go a long way to getting out the message. We pray that the Lord will bless you greatly for your generosity. We hope you gain much from this month's message. We intend to show you some surprising information, but coupled with it will be an urgent call to get ready for Jesus to take you to the secret place of the Most High. But before we begin, let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, we are living in a momentous time. Major changes are taking place in this world as we head into the vortex of the controversy between Christ and Satan. We need your presence in our lives. We need to overcome our tempers and our lack of love for others. We need to overcome our bad habits, our addictions to entertainment, food, and material things. Please send your Holy Spirit to speak to us today so that our lives may reflect your image. As we look at recent developments in prophecy today, please open the curtain that we may see what is going on behind the scenes. We need encouragement to get right with Jesus and bring our lives in harmony with His law. So bless us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. As we begin today, I would like to share with you a passage of Scripture. Listen to Psalm 2, 1 through 3. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Notice that the people imagine a vain thing. So many people think that the world can provide them a savior to save them from economic destruction or from war or from disaster. Americans have been looking for an iconic savior ever since John F. Kennedy. Many think they have now found him. But no earthly leader can be a savior. It is impossible. Even though many of them may gather together to try and solve the world's problems at the United Nations or other places, they cannot seem to change anything except to make it worse. Now we have an American president that promises a lot of change for the better, both in the United States and around the world. 
Some of his starting principles sound very good. In fact, Barack Obama has done some very good things, particularly at the beginning of his presidency. For instance, he ordered that Guantanamo Bay be closed as soon as possible and that torture must be stopped. He also has done a number of things to bring more transparency to the federal government. Indeed, there are a number of very good characteristics to admire about President Obama, such as his networking capabilities, his ability to listen and counsel widely, and his calmness under pressure. But let us remember that he is a mere human being. He has achieved something thought impossible a few short years ago, but do you think he can bring the change that this world needs? You see, people imagine a vain thing by looking at their earthly leaders to solve these gigantic problems. But many people have gone much farther in their minds. They think of him in larger-than-life terms. They think of him as if he's an icon with an aura around him. But after listening today, you will no doubt realize that he is just as controlled as all previous presidents by higher powers, powers that can manipulate circumstances and control the outcome. Notice one more thing about these verses in the Psalms. The kings of the earth have set themselves against the Lord and against His anointed. Who are the anointed? In these last days, the anointed are those who follow the Lord Jesus all the way. The anointed of the Lord are those who are purifying their lives so that they can be recipients of the latter rain and preach and teach the message with great power. They take counsel together to try and break their confidence and hold on Christ. They try to break their bands asunder. They try to cast away the cords of love and power that hold them in the palm of Jesus' hand. These earthly powers, I'm sorry to say, are ambitious to destroy God's people in the last days. So while the people hope in them and trust in them to solve their problems, they are actually working to bring God's people, wittingly or unwittingly, into great difficulty and eventually persecute them in the name of God and in the name of unity and peace. The leaders of this world are working with Rome, we are told in Revelation 18 verse 9. The Bush administration was very close to the bishops of Rome and two different popes. But now the Bush administration has fallen into hard times and is gone. A new leader has arisen to take over. Will the new leadership distance themselves from Rome? Will they change the way America does business with Rome? I suggest that the changes are merely cosmetic and in areas that are not as important to Rome as we might think. Rome has vowed to fight Obama on social issues like abortion, euthanasia, and stem cell research, etc. But there are at least two other fields where Rome is determined to hang on to her power in the American administration. One of them is in international politics. Rome has positioned herself as the peacemaker in the world, and she intends to work with the Obama administration to reduce or even resolve some of the greatest issues between the Christian West and Islam. But there is another arena in which Rome will work closely with the Obama administration. This involves the world of his cabinet, his advisors, administrators, communicators, and others that will work closely with him and influence him. Rome is crafty and powerful in America. Remember that the United States is the crown jewel. Protestantism is pictured in Revelation 13:11 as a lamb with two horns. Horns represent political power. 
Protestantism's political power has been the United States. Therefore, Rome is determined to control the United States and is bending every effort to do it. Rome knows that if she gains control of the United States, she will have enormous influence in the rest of the world. Moreover, she will hang on to her power so that she can influence the overall outcome regardless of the twists and turns in American politics. The only way that Rome can eventually lead America to enact a Sunday law is to position herself so that she can greatly influence the nation when a crisis of gargantum proportions offers her the opportunity to suggest and then urge the nation to enact the Sunday laws that will lead us to the end of time. Listen to Rome's ultimate objective. It is found in the Review and Herald, December 24, 1889. God's messenger wrote, I have been much burdened in regard to the movements that are now in progress for the enforcement of Sunday observance. It has been shown to me that Satan has been working earnestly to carry out his designs to restrict religious liberty. Plans of a serious import to the people of God are advancing in an underhand manner among the clergymen of various denominations and the object of this secret maneuvering is to win popular favor for the enforcement of Sunday sacredness. If the people can be led to favor a Sunday law, then the clergy intend to exert their united influence to obtain a religious amendment to the Constitution and compel the nation to keep Sunday. So you see, prophetically speaking, Rome's clear agenda is to get a Sunday law enacted in the United States. Rome does not openly speak about Sunday laws in America, though she does mention Sunday as an important day of rest when speaking to other nations. However, since the agenda is known to us, it would be no surprise to learn that the planning and preparations go on in secret. In order to accomplish a Sunday law in the United States, Rome must neuter Protestantism and develop significant political influence. This project she has almost completed. Notice the uniting of the clergy. This cannot happen without ecumenical alliances. The clergy are getting ready. They are practicing by uniting on many issues in society. And when the time comes, they will be ready to unite and enact the law that will force the conscience against the law of God. My friends, we are almost there. The enormous influence Rome wields cannot be ignored even by politicians that don't agree with Rome on social issues, as you will see. Rome has been earnestly working to make sure that the new president is under their influence. Long before he ever began his presidential campaign, they had their eye on him. As he was a rising star, they probably knew he could go to important places. As you will see later on, they began to network with him in Chicago when he was just out of college and train him. As the presidential campaign gained momentum, they worked more closely with him. He was invited into friendly discussions and dinners that brought them closer together. You can go on the web and see pictures of Obama and McCain and Cardinal Egan of New York laughing and carrying on together as if they were old friends. As soon as they saw that he was a serious contender, the Catholic Church had already begun to wrap her arms around him. Before we go on, it is important to be reminded that the issues we are discussing are about prophecy, not politics. We are not really talking so much about Obama as we are talking about the Holy See. 
it is important not to let go of our prophetic perspective. The Obama administration will do some very good things from a political standpoint. But the Bible says in Revelation 13, verse 4, that the deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. From a prophetic standpoint, it would not matter who is president. Rome would still try to wrap her arms around him and use his leadership to promulgate her agenda. Obama is not unmindful of the power and influence of Rome in the United States and other parts of the world. He has to deal with the powerful Holy See, so he took steps to address their concerns as best he could, knowing that he was not in harmony with Rome on key social issues. During the recent presidential campaign, a web blog was published on the website of the Jesuit magazine America. It listed the names of Obama's unofficial Roman Catholic advisory team, which is called a kitchen cabinet. The purpose of this particular advisory team would have been to help Obama navigate the special problems that arise because the Catholic Church is so very influential in American politics. Obviously, many Roman Catholics are clearly more liberal than their church when it comes to abortion, gay marriage, and other social issues. Obama needed advice, but more importantly, he needed a solid group of respected Catholics to draw Catholic votes. It should be noted that he did not form a Baptist advisory committee or even an evangelical advisory committee. They also wield a lot of power in the U.S., politics, but not like Catholics. This fact tells us that Rome's influence and power is obviously far more than the Baptists and Evangelicals, perhaps combined. The Catholic Kitchen Cabinet is a veritable who's who list of respected American Catholics and Jesuits, or rather Jesuit-trained people. They include Roman Catholic congressmen and women, educators at Jesuit universities, governors, senators, representatives, and others who are chosen partly because of their close connections to Rome. They include Senator Bob Casey, Governor Tim Kaine of Virginia, Representative Patrick Murphy, Senator Ted and his wife Victoria Kennedy, Senator Richard Durbin, Senator John Kerry, Senator Patrick Leahy, Representative Xavier Becerra, Representative Mike Capuano, Representative Lacey Clay, and a list of authors and educators and others. The vast majority of them were trained at Catholic schools and many of them at Jesuit institutions. Some of them are rather close to the centers of power in the Catholic Church. For example, Sharon Daly, reported InsideCatholic.com, has been described as one of the highest-ranking lay women leaders in the Church and was for many years Vice President for Social Policy at Catholic Charities USA. Ron Cruz, listed now as a consultant, was, only last year, director of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops Secretariat of Hispanic Affairs. The list of institutions where they trained or where they teach includes Catholic and Jesuit schools like Georgetown University, Boston College, Loyola University, College of the Holy Cross, King's College, Marquette Law, University of Notre Dame, Trinity Washington University, Loyola Marymount University, Xavier University, and Catholic University of America. The list is long. A number of these people have a history of working with the Jesuits very closely. One comment that was posted in response to this article said, 
all the Jesuits are fittingly in pectore, which is Latin for in the breast or in the heart. In other words, they are not revealed. They are hidden if they are there. The Jesuits pride themselves in stealth. They may well be in this advisory committee, but no one would know it except perhaps fellow Jesuits. They can be disguised as lawyers who have become senators and representatives or others. According to prophecy, they are actively seeking to advise national leaders to benefit the power of Rome. If you would like to see a complete list of Obama's kitchen cabinet and these connections, you can find it on our website in the appendix at the end of the text of this sermon. In addition to this kitchen cabinet, some of Obama's key officials in his campaign and now his presidency include his top speechwriter, John Favreau, who trained at the College of the Holy Cross in Worcester, Massachusetts, the oldest Jesuit college in New England. Who knows, he might even be a Jesuit disguised as a speechwriter. Dan Pfeiffer, who was Obama's deputy communications director during the campaign and continues in the same position at the White House, graduated from Georgetown University, too. Rome may well have significant influence over Obama's communications. Obama would find it very useful to have such influences if he wants to minimize any potential conflict with Rome. So it is in his political best interest to have them. Also, it should be mentioned that his senior military and foreign policy advisor was Major General Jonathan Scott Gratian, a fighter pilot whose master's degree is from Georgetown University, the oldest Jesuit institution in America. He has been asked by Obama to head up NASA, or the National Aeronautic and Space Administration. Though there is debate within Catholic circles concerning the religious commitment of these Catholics for supporting Obama, the church managed to get a large number of influential Roman Catholics or those who had been trained in Jesuit institutions all around him. Not everyone close to the president, of course, is in this category, but virtually all of them would see no problem with Rome's power and influence over the government and the president. Many of them would already be on friendly terms with the bishops and cardinals. How did it happen that so many people around Obama are influenced or trained by Rome? What forces and influences shaped Obama's thinking? One of those forces is the ecumenical movement. Rome has been so successful with the ecumenical movement that most people are no longer concerned that Rome is any danger to them. They shrug their shoulders as if it means nothing that Rome has gained such powerful influence in the government. They think all is well when Jesuits or Jesuit-trained people are placed in high-ranking positions. Why are people so complacent about a church influencing their government? We have the certainty from God's last-day messenger who says in Great Controversy, page 566, that Protestants have tampered with and patronized popery. They have made compromises and concessions which papists themselves are surprised to see and fail to understand. Men are closing their eyes to the real character of Romanism and the dangers to be apprehended from her supremacy. And it is supremacy that Rome wants. This statement is more true today than when it was written. Most evangelical Christians have been co-opted by Rome to cooperate in social projects, and this has caused them to see Rome in a new and friendly light. 
Most of them had to drop their objections to her doctrines in order to work with Rome on those social issues, and now they see her as a friend of all good. They have no clue that Rome has poisoned their minds with the wine of Babylon or her false teachings, so that they now view matters in nearly the same way she does. They have no clue that by continuing to uphold Rome's day of rest, they are actually giving their allegiance to her. To them, working in harmony with Rome is as natural as eating their breakfast. And those who still have objections to her doctrines, such as the Reverend John Hagee, an evangelical pastor from San Antonio, Texas, get a very strong lesson in Rome's discipline if they speak up in favor of a political candidate. Hagee was publicly humiliated by Rome when he endorsed John McCain for the presidency because he had spoken plainly against Rome's false doctrines as an ongoing part of his ministry. Apparently, he got so much criticism that after being tutored by some of Rome's agents, he apologized and said that after engaging in constructive dialogue with Catholic friends and leaders, I now have an improved understanding of the Catholic Church in its relation to the Jewish faith and the history of anti-Catholicism. One wonders what he meant by an improved understanding. Hagee pledged himself to be more careful in the future concerning his statements about the Roman Catholic Church. In this friendly American environment, Rome has seized on the opportunity to wend her way into great influence in the American administration. This has taken some time, but no doubt Rome is proud of her progress. She is not about to let go of it either. Rome's progress has been greatly enhanced by the secret society known as the Jesuits, there are at least 28 Jesuit universities and colleges in the United States. They have successfully, very successfully, dedicated themselves to the education of young people and have done a very good job in the formation of the nation's current and future leaders. Listen to this statement from the book Great Controversy, page 234 and 5. Throughout Christendom, Protestantism was menaced by formidable foes. The first triumphs of the Reformation passed, Rome summoned new forces, hoping to accomplish its destruction. At this time, the order of the Jesuits was created. The most cruel, unscrupulous, and powerful of all champions of popery. There was no crime too great for them to commit, no deception too base for them to practice, no disguise too difficult for them to assume. Vowed to perpetual poverty and humility, it was their studied aim to secure wealth and power, to be devoted to the overthrow of Protestantism and the re-establishment of the papal supremacy. It was a fundamental principle of the order that the end justifies the means. Under various disguises, the Jesuits worked their way into offices of state, climbing up to be the counselors of kings and shaping the policy of nations. Jesuit universities, colleges, and other institutions in the United States are considered to be the very best. Catholics, Protestants, and even Seventh-day Adventists attend them and get their advanced degrees at some of them. Many of their graduates rise to powerful positions in government, as we have noted. But there is something else that is very important to understand. Rome's foot soldiers know how to work with both sides of a political argument. Some promote one thesis or ideology, while others support an antithesis or the opposite political philosophy. 
In American terms, they work with both Democrats and Republicans to guide them both in the same general direction while at the same time building their power. They will often argue on both sides of an issue so that they build connections and influence on both parties. They even like a political fight because it helps them become the champions of both sides. They know that when people become tired of one political party, they will vote in the other. So they work both sides of the political aisle and keep themselves influential no matter who is in power. A classic example of this is the most recent Bush administration, compared to the new Obama administration. It became patently obvious that the Bush administration was ideologically committed to Rome's policies regardless of the constitutional restrictions he would have to overcome. He surrounded himself with Roman Catholic politicians, advisors, speechwriters, priests, and military men. He absorbed so much Roman Catholic social teaching that he spoke like the Pope himself, using the very phrases that John Paul and Benedict themselves had invented. When the people tired of the Bush administration for various reasons, they first voted in a Democratic Congress, followed two years later by a Democratic president. But Rome is just as dedicated to influencing President Obama as she was to influence President Bush. Even Obama's formation as a political leader was clearly influenced by Rome, particularly the Jesuits. One of his key mentors was a Jesuit priest named Gregory Galuzzo, now supposedly a former Jesuit, who is the co-founder and executive director of the Gamaliel Foundation. I don't understand what a former Jesuit is. How someone can be a former Jesuit when they have taken the Jesuit oath is unclear to me. But that is how the reports characterize this man Galuzzo. It may mean that he is no longer practicing as an open Jesuit priest. But has he retracted his oath? Has he turned his back on Rome? Not likely at all. According to an article published by the Ethics and Public Policy Center, a conservative Roman Catholic organization, Gamaliel is dedicated to a radical stealth agenda of promoting wealth redistribution using community organizing tactics, particularly in urban communities, and mobilizing them to rise up against the elite establishment. Wealth redistribution is something that both John Paul and now Benedict have advocated on a global scale by promoting debt cancellation, free trade agreements, unbridled immigration and migration of Roman Catholic workers, and other measures. This fits well with democratic ideas of social welfare. The Jesuit Gamaliel Foundation and other organizations are promoting this behind the scenes and at the grassroots level with churches and other community organizations. Barack Obama learned about community organizing while working for the Gamaliel Foundation. The Ethics and Public Policy Center wrote that the Gamaliel Foundation works quietly to promote grassroots change. The Gamaliel Plan is to promote a popular separation away from American thinking and beliefs. I'll quote from the article. Before outlining Gamaliel's techniques of political stealth, we need to identify the views that they are camouflaging. America is a sinful and fallen nation. The United States employs nationalism, propaganda, racism, bogus civil religion, and class enmity to bolster its entrenched and oppressive corporate system. Authentic Christians 
forced to live in such a nation, can come out of Babylon only by entering into a perpetual state of internal exile. How can one argue against these abuses? And there are plenty of them. Yet the message is clear. America is fallen and needs to be fixed. From a prophetic standpoint, do you think this could set the stage for community organizing through local churches to promote a Sunday law in a severe national crisis? Gamaliel identifies the United States as Babylon and that American Christians must separate themselves from it in their minds. Gamaliel's goal, and I'm quoting, is to build in the name of social justice church-based coalitions capable of wielding power on behalf of the poor. These congregation-based organizations are supposed to counterbalance and undercut America's oppressive power structures. That's the end of the quote. My friends, this is Rome telling us of her own agenda. One Catholic organization tattles on another. Don't miss this. When I heard Obama speak of community organizing, I didn't understand at all what he meant until I began to research the issue and discovered that there is a larger agenda behind the nice-sounding words. By calling America Babylon instead of the biblical definition, the stage is being set for Americans to accept a different kind of nation than from what they are familiar. Obama was nurtured in Gamaliel's environment for over 20 years. So-called former Jesuit Galuzzo was Obama's trainer in community organizing when Obama went to work for one of Gamaliel's organizations at just 24 years of age. Obama learned the philosophy and methods of Gamaliel so well that he was asked to become a trainer of new recruits. He eventually became a consultant for the organization. Even up until October 2007, Obama was still connected to Gamaliel, attending a public meeting of the foundation as a U.S. senator. Obama's Jesuit connections run pretty deep and go a long way back. President Obama, while working at Gamaliel, became very good at using community organizations. He has used those principles all through his campaign and will probably use the principles he learned all through his presidency. Listen to this wonderful statement from Desire of Ages, page 509. The government under which Jesus lived was corrupt and oppressive. On every hand were crying abuses, extortion, intolerance, and grinding cruelty. Yet the Savior attempted no civil reforms. He attacked no national abuses, nor condemned the national enemies. He did not interfere with the authority or administration of those in power. He who was our example kept aloof from earthly governments, not because he was indifferent to the woes of men, but because the remedy did not lie in merely human and external measures. To be efficient, the cure must reach men individually and must regenerate the heart. But Rome, in the name of Christ, advocates that the people rise up and overthrow their unjust leaders and oppressive institutions and corporations. But this will never bring the promised relief. It will only make matters worse. People who think that a new regime will bring in a bright new future are mistaken. This is what happened in the French Revolution, and it only led to chaos and further oppression. Listen to this interesting statement in the book Great Controversy, page 279, concerning the French Revolution. With the flight of the Huguenots, or Huguenots, 
a general decline settled upon France. Flourishing manufacturing cities fell into decay. Fertile districts returned to their native wilderness. The intellectual dullness and moral declension succeeded a period of unwanted progress. Paris became one vast almshouse, and it is estimated that at the breaking out of the Revolution, 200,000 paupers claimed charity from the hands of the king. The Jesuits alone flourished in the decaying nation and ruled with dreadful tyranny over churches and schools, the prisons and the galleys. While the circumstances are not all the same today as they were then, there are a number of similarities. Rome still tries to work in the way she always has, by fostering discontent with the national leaders, and then use that discontent to control or manipulate them. Obama campaigned successfully on the discontent of the people. Not only that, he promises that the poor will be much better cared for, making them more hopeful of government support. The Gamaliel Foundation uses genuine social injustice to foster demands for change, leading to a new government and a new model of society. Rome is essentially a socialist government. Malachi Martin, in his book The Keys of This Blood, wrote on page 304, how Rome promotes soft-glove Gramsci socialism throughout the world. He said, Already known for its long cooperation with the policies of Antonio Gramsci, the Pontifical Commission for Justice and Peace, in each of its local branches throughout the 4,000 dioceses of the Roman Catholic Church, consistently endorses the main themes of Soviet Marxist policy the evils of capitalism in Western democracies, the call for unilateral disarmament by the Western powers, an absolute need to establish a one-world economic system based on the distribution of the riches, goods, and services of the capitalist world. So the Gamaliel Foundation is actually part of Rome's plan to work for redistribution of wealth and power away from the West. This is a class act, in the name of religion and in the name of helping the poor, the Gamaliel Foundation is actually advocating a social restructure of America and, by extension, Western society through the churches themselves. On January 9, 2009, World Net Daily reported that Henry Kissinger, who is now a special consultant to the Vatican, said that Obama is poised to create a new world order. The president-elect, he said, is coming into office at a moment when there is upheaval in many parts of the world simultaneously. Obama can give new impetus to American foreign policy, Kissinger said, partly because the reception of him is so extraordinary around the world. His task will be to develop an overall strategy for America in this period when really a new world order can be created. It's a great opportunity. It isn't just a crisis. What new world order would that be? Would it be in harmony with Rome's agenda? Remember, my friends, that world political harmonization leads to world religious unity. And Rome is patiently working for both objectives. But Galuzzo has not been the only influence on Barack Obama. Another one of Barack and Michelle Obama's close friends is 39-year-old Mike Strautmanis, now senior legal counsel for them at the White House. 
Mike Strout-Manis met Michelle Robinson, a young lawyer, and Barack's future wife, when he was a paralegal working for the firm Sidney Austin, a prestigious law firm in Chicago. Barack Obama also worked for Sidney Austin and became friends with Strout-Manis through Michelle. Strout-Manis worked for Obama in the United States Senate, guiding his legal affairs. Not surprisingly, Strout-Manis had his formation training under the Jesuits at St. Ignatius College Prep, one of Chicago's most influential Catholic schools. And let us not forget that Obama's choice of Roman Catholic Vice President Joe Biden informs us that he sees no hindrance to his leadership by close association with Roman Catholics. Joe Biden has also surrounded himself with Jesuit-trained staff. His chief of staff, Ron Klain, though a Jew, was trained under the Jesuits at Georgetown University. He also worked for Bill Clinton and Janet Reno. Perhaps it should also be mentioned that of the list of 27 vice presidential candidates that Obama was considering, according to CBS News, 15, or more than 55 percent, were Roman Catholic. Of the 12 non-Catholics on his list, four were trained at Jesuit universities, and another actually grew up Catholic, though today he is an Episcopalian, which is perhaps one step away. While there is a lot of debate over how Catholic Obama's closest Catholic friends, advisors, and other associates are, because of their general lack of support for Catholic moral issues, many of them are, in fact, very, very close to Catholic leadership. This should not go unnoticed by students of prophecy. But that's not all. Obama's top speechwriter, as I mentioned before, Jean Favreau, worked for Obama when he was a senator, then during his campaign for president, and now as director of speechwriting for Obama at the White House. Favreau graduated from the College of the Holy Cross, a Jesuit institution. Incidentally, Merrill McPeak is another interesting advisor to Barack Obama, Merrill Anthony Tony McPeak, also a former fighter pilot, holds a master's degree in international relations from George Washington University, located in downtown Washington, D.C. George Washington University is a school chartered by Congress and substantially supported by the Freemasons. In 1975 and 76, McPeak was a military fellow with the Council on Foreign Relations in New York City, commonly known as the CFR. The CFR is working for global government. McPeak is a globalist who campaigned for Barack Obama. President Obama's cabinet is also loaded with a good number of Roman Catholics or Jesuit-trained leaders. They are Ken Salazar, Secretary of the Interior, Tom Vilsack, Secretary of Agriculture, Hilda Solis, Secretary of Labor, Ray LaHood, a Marianite Catholic, Secretary of Transportation. Robert Gates will remain as Secretary of Defense. He earned a Ph.D. at Georgetown in 1974 and, not surprisingly, is a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. Though Janet Napoleano, Secretary of Homeland Security, is a Methodist, she graduated from Santa Clara University, a Jesuit school in California. National Security Advisor James L. Jones, Jr., a four-star general, was Jesuit-trained at Georgetown School of Foreign Service. One particularly interesting appointment is George Mitchell, a Roman Catholic from Maine who is a former senator. 
He is also decorated with the British Knight Grand Cross, which is the most senior decoration in the most excellent order of the British Empire, even though he is a Roman Catholic. He has been named, not surprisingly, as the special envoy to the Middle East by Barack Obama. Considering Rome's agenda concerning Islam, it would be very important to Rome to have this position filled by one of her own. Mitchell also earned his law degree at Georgetown University School of Law. Another interesting appointment is Leon Panetta, a Roman Catholic from California. He is Obama's pick to be the director of the CIA. He graduated from Santa Clara University, a Jesuit institution, and the Santa Clara University School of Law. Now he is in charge of some of the most sensitive geopolitical information possible. Since the CIA and the Vatican have regular communication, it would have been important to have a Roman Catholic in that position. Notice that the sensitive positions that manage international and geopolitical affairs for the United States, including the Secretary of Defense, the Director of the CIA, and the Special Envoy to the Middle East, are filled with either Roman Catholics or have close educational connections with the Jesuits. Once Obama won the election, Rome moved very quickly. Pope Benedict called him the very next day but one of his staffers thought it was a hoax and would not let him speak with Obama. So the Pope sent him a telegram to congratulate him on his election. Almost a week later, Obama returned the call. On Inauguration Day, the Pope sent another telegram to Obama urging Obama to respect even those that have no voice, a reference to the unborn. Many newspapers proclaimed that the Pope had blessed Obama and his presidency. In our January sermon on President Obama, Keep the Faith Ministry explained how that the Catholic Church disagrees with Barack Obama on social teaching, especially in regard to stem cell research, abortion, and other socially conservative issues. However, we also noted that Rome is not willing to alienate herself from the Obama administration over them, but may have to put their goals aside for a while, or at least their hopes for progress, while they accomplish other things in the meantime. Nevertheless, a presidential visit to the Vatican is expected in 2009. Catholic News Service wrote on January 26 that many in the Vatican are already looking ahead to an expected meeting between Obama and Pope Benedict later this year. Although the Vatican understands that the young president has a lot on his plate as he comes into office, said CNS, they are eager to see him in Rome. Asked when he hoped it would happen, one Vatican official said, as soon as possible. The New York Times on December 18, in an article on the papal message to Obama, said that the Vatican doesn't want to be at loggerheads with Barack Obama because it sees a range of matters where it's more in sync with him than it has been with President Bush. A papal spokesman said the Vatican hopes to work with him on Iraq, the Holy Land, Christian minorities in the Middle East, and Asia, and the fight against poverty and social inequality. Catholic News Service wrote on January 26 that Vatican officials said the new president begins his term with a certain amount of trust and sympathy among Arabs. That could be important, they said, because Arabs need to feel they have a world leader who takes their situation to heart. Rome hopes to assist Obama in brokering peace in the Middle East, 
If Obama can bring a new level of understanding in the Middle East, Rome stands to gain leverage in its dialogue and ecumenical efforts with Muslims in general. But on social issues, Rome can gain much by opposing Obama. There is a very important reason for this. Rome uses her moral voice to position herself above earthly potentates as superior to them. This way she can reprove the nations. The people will look up to her as the moral influence in the world. And one day, when faced with terrible crises, they will think that they need Rome's moral voice more than ever and will follow her suggestions to pressure their leaders to enforce her day of rest to get their nation back to God. Rome will continue to press her social agenda harder than ever in the United States. The stakes are higher now, and she must gain the advantage by remaining strong on these social issues. To be clear, wrote the New York Times, the Vatican yields to no one in its pro-life commitments. There will be no truce, no strategic silence about the defense of human life from the moment of conception. The question now is whether the Vatican will find an equally effective way to mobilize those Catholics who hope to build bridges with the Obama administration on these social issues, wrote the Times. Those who are watching prophecy unfold should recognize that Rome gains much political clout by its independence on social moral issues. A strong conflict helps her gain influence with other churches against a declining society that has a form of godliness but denies its power. Rome is gearing up for a balancing act, one in which she must maintain a delicate balance between her political collaboration with the American administration on geopolitical issues, while strongly opposing its liberal, domestic, and international social policies. During the Bush administration, Rome gained a lot of ground on its social agenda, particularly in the U.S., but also elsewhere. Rome may lose some ground on that front during the Obama administration. Instead, Rome is planning on gaining a lot of ground in world political issues that it could not have achieved during the Bush administration. There is something else to keep in mind. Democratic President Obama has a democratically controlled Congress to work with exactly the opposite of what President Bush had when he entered office. Of them, 31% are Roman Catholic, and a whopping 52 members, wrote Catholic News Service, almost 10% have been trained at Jesuit institutions. Those 52 represent almost a third of all Roman Catholics in Congress. One wonders how many of them are actually Jesuits in disguise. There are 11 Jesuit alumni in the Senate and 41 in the House of Representatives, including some of the key leaders, wrote CNS. CNS said that the Association of Jesuit Colleges and Universities in Washington, D.C. certainly has something to crow about. And they are. They publish the report from which these numbers are taken. It seems like they are almost triumphant. Catholics are the single largest religious group in the 111th Congress, wrote Boston.com. They are slightly overrepresented in Congress compared to the general population of the United States, which is about 25% Roman Catholic. My friends, this is the time to make sure that you are hidden in the secret place of the Most High. During this time of relative peace, Christ is calling you to open the door of your heart and let Jesus in. 
You cannot afford to miss out on heaven, and you urgently need to secure your eternal destiny. The secret place of the Most High, my friends, is the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary. You can only go there in your experience with Christ by faith. He must give you victory over temptation, and by His power in you, live by all of His law of liberty. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your power, and thank you for showing us what is coming upon the world. We pray that we will keep our prophetic eyes wide open. Give us a heart of love for all those around us, and may we help the poor as Jesus did and find ways to lead souls to the kingdom of heaven, and may we be ready as well. In Jesus' name I pray. Could you?